you know, for us, when we were coming up with the brand name Dinkra, we, we intentionally chose that brand name Dinkra London primarily because what we wanted to embark upon was a mission to discover um, Africa stories, explore all 54 countries and try to authentically tell those stories in a modern contemporary way. And it sounds almost contradictory, but we wanted uh, in, in its most simplest forms, Dinkra are symbols that tell stories. They're very collective. Hello and welcome to Academy Magazine's Connecting Communities podcast. My name is Abna Selwa, the editor of Akadi Magazine, and you were just listening to Patrick Okumi, co-founder of luxury accessories brand Adinkra London. Taking inspiration from their homeland Ghana and harnessing the ancient storytelling tradition associated with the Adinkra symbols, Patrick and his co-founder and cousin Sean are on a mission to position African design in spaces that have traditionally been the preserve of Europeans. In this two-part podcast, Patrick talks about what inspired him and his cousin to create the brand and how they are challenging perceptions about African fashion in the process. So tell me a bit about yourself in terms of your career, because I know you work in the financial sector. Um, And you work, I think you're the head of Europe, Middle East and Africa in terms of sales at TPI. Yeah, it's a very fancy title. There are lots of people who are also head of MEF, but yeah. So yeah, so yeah, so the the backstory is, yeah, I mean, I, I was born in Ghana. So I was born in Takrede, so obviously the accent doesn't necessarily give it away, but um, I moved to the UK when I was five to live with my mum and to grow up in, in southeast London. So, you know, the backstory into how I worked in finance was you know, I was fortunate. You know, she was a single mother, but a very strong African woman, strong values, and it's just like, you know, <laughs> get that education. So uh, my mum made quite a lot of sacrifices and I had a lot of opportunities. So I was fortunate to go to a very good school and made use of that opportunity um, did well and then went to university a good university so I was at Durham and again did well there so I, I I started business finance and I guess from a very early stage I knew I wanted to get into the financial markets in particular trading because I, I think at the time you know was, I liked the ability to be in control and you know be able to make decisions which should effectively help generate value so obviously that was uh, the core trading so you know started out in a, in a bank in 2007 did a grad program and just works within different trading hats. So I was a proprietary trader, which meant trading the bank's money as market maker. And then about nine years ago, I moved to a company called ICAP, where you know, I've just basically been building a career there and now look after a startup unit within the group, which is basically building up a, a more efficient way to trade big blocks of shares. So that's what I do. So building that out, that's what pays the bills. And, uh, you know, it's, it's great to to be able to innovate within a, a fairly mature market. But obviously that's that's the day job and that's not really what we're here to talk about today. Well, it's still interesting. Yeah, so tell yeah. me, how do you transition from, or, or what got you into deciding you want to have an African can find accessories brand yeah exactly the obvious uh, link between trading and fashion so you know one of the things i've always done since i started even from school i've just been a very creative person and i think about it was about six seven years ago whilst still working within finance i, I got together with my my youngest stepbrother and my cousin sean and we we built uh, a tech startup you know we raised some money um, and we built a platform which we we ran whilst we were you know working in our day jobs, and um, you know we did that for about five years. 
And, you know, toward the end of that venture, that chapter, you know, we were getting to the point where Sean and I were like, look, we're wrapping this up. It grew to a reasonable level, but then we, we just got to the point where we couldn't necessarily cross that chasm into, you know, we're now going to actually take the leap and go into full time. It just, there were too many variables, which meant it wasn't really, it, it was it was going to struggle to really get to the next level. So we were like, look, we've got to obviously wrap this up. Um, but, you know, we like doing, you know, being creative and doing things. So what, what could we be doing? And one of the interesting ideas that I guess, you know, was quite close to home for me was um, African fashion. <laughs> and, um, you know, having sort of grown up in the environment I grew up in academically and professionally in the West, you know, I, I grew up in a culture, you know, if you were to talk about luxury fashion, one of the things that probably wouldn't necessarily be featured in that same conversation is West African design. Um, and, you know, when you think about starting a, a business or um, addressing a problem, you know, this is something which for me was quite personal and it was kind of got me thinking was, uh, as someone who originates from the continent. You know, if you, you go into a store, you go into the self, which is the horrors of this world, and you're in the fashion section, you look around a lot of the products, the brands, the designs that you will be seeing uh, invariably Western cultures. You know, these stores purport themselves to be global fashion houses. Yes, you know, they seem to be only representing a percentage of the world. So for us, especially looking at my, my own wardrobe and, you know, if you Google luxury tie, you know, you're going to see the likes of Zegna, uh, Ferragamo, Hermes. And, you know, if you look at these designs, you know, they're all superb designs, superb, you know, construction. But invariably, you know, you, I started realizing that a lot of the patterns were pretty much quite similar, you know, and, you know, you look at a, a tie, a blue tie made from, one Italian house, it looks like the same as a French house, but, you know, the difference is the fabric comes from a different part or this art, you know, and it was kind of, I felt like a lot of stuff was being recycled and, um, and you see the same blue tie with white spots made by yeah. an English same made by an Italian and feels as though Western fashion is kind of running out of original content or original designs. And from the continent of Africa, there are so many different symbols, iconography, patterns, inspirations that which aren't being uh, rep reflected, represented in, in, in modern contemporary design. And, you know, we're like, especially from the African diaspora, you know, if you think about how you represent yourself, your, your values, your cultures, your, your interests, you know, you've got such a limited range to choose from. Am I really going to buy a tie that has sailing boats on when I've got no desire to sail? You know, it doesn't reflect, mm. what I want, but it happens to be blue and I want a blue tie, but I don't have a choice. And we were like, look, as a, an experiment, um, you know, why don't we see if we can actually design um, an African-inspired tie and actually be innovative about it? And unlike when you Google African tie, you just see a sort of a kente cloth cut into a tie shape, actually think, what is it that we look for, what that we like about the design? You know, what what's what's required by us in, in the modern wardrobe? What, what are we looking for? You know, everything from the width of the blade to the construction to the weight. You know, we, we, we knew what we wanted and we said, look, why don't we actually try to create designs that will be, would mean something to us? And, you know, we, we explored symbol, symbols and, you know, coming from Ghana, you grew up seeing the Adinkus symbols on the side of Trotros and, you know, they're everywhere, right? So we're like, let's just choose one. 
Yeah. And we, we chose our symbol, um, which is a really powerful symbol for us. And, um, you know, I'll explain that later on. And we said, look, rather than what we've often seen um, uh, African designs patterns being, which we felt not, it's not intended to sort of be speak disparagingly about designers who do this, but we felt that the approach has been pretty unimaginative where you see the pattern is just bang on a you know just be sort of put in places we said look let's actually do something with this let's play around with the patterns you know let's make a you know, repeat geometric frame let's put in a little biases and you know experiment and actually work yeah. it and make it more interesting i was just gonna say that's what i really appreciate about looking at your ties because i feel like it draws you in it's not that immediate everyone will think of the jinyami which is the most yeah. popular i guess yeah, yeah, yeah. that people use yeah. and it's quite strong it's prominent but i feel like with your ties it forces you to keep looking and i think there's, there's the so many yes yeah. it's subtle that's the right yeah. word yeah exactly yeah 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 and that was the key point so for us we were like look we want to create a, you know, a piece of clothing that will be able to incorporate african culture in a modern subtle refined way which will basically reflect what i was looking for in the in products but allow me to you know be able to wear it with pride knowing that actually i'm wearing a tie that has meaning that has providence because this is you know centuries old with the traditions into that pattern and it meant something in a modern contemporary way but also what was quite exciting about what we were doing was we wanted to mix trad with modern and you know yeah. if you look in the real eyes you'll notice that the tipping actually has the Ankara fabric tipping yeah. The clock. Yeah. So there's so much we want to do because we want to make clothing for the African diaspora we wanted to create a brand that would be able to showcase African culture in a modern contemporary way that would be accessible to you know the diaspora but also non-diaspora who are looking for just more breadth of offering you know and you know, to answer your question, you know, from the outset, we just realized that there was a dearth of diversity on in the Western stores. And mm. we saw an opportunity to actually try to remedy that. And that's kind of brought us to where we are today. There's lots to look at. It's almost like you're not just buying a piece of fabric that you can use, but you're also looking at art as well. So I'm interested in yeah. how you decided which ones you were going to pick. You didn't go for yeah. the uh, Jinyami. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, why did we choose the Insa symbol? So we, we, we launched with the INSA primarily because it was the INSA single for those who don't know means quality and excellence. And that basically embodied the brand, what we wanted to do. You know, we weren't going to be a, a streetwear brand, which was about being cool, trendy. We, you know, we were about a brand, a, a high-end brand that sort of, we see ourselves sitting between Ralph Lauren and Hermes and everything we need to do is to basically dispel the misconceptions that are, you know, very prevalent in the West that, you know, if it's, you know, African luxury is almost contradictory. And obviously this has changed in the last five years, but, you know, dispel them sort of the prevailing mindset, which is it's all very cottage industry. It's all very, you know, sewing machine in a corner of a flat somewhere. It's poor quality. We like forget all of that. You know, we're going to produce pieces that are to exacting standards that are befitting of the mission that we're taking on, which is basically trying to package a very rich culture into a consumable products, you know, and that's not an easy thing to do. So, you know, with everything we do, quality and excellence, to the point where, you know, the boxes, the packaging we have, we have, they're shipped in these very rich luxury boxes. You can see London in gold, you know, the blue, you know, we call it African Royal Blue. 
every product we have, you know, with the ties, especially, they're shipped with cards, you know, which are embossed cards, which are hand signed by myself and Sean. Because what we do with these cards is we describe the pattern, we explain the origin of it, what it means to educate those who aren't familiar with it. And for those who are, it's just again, it's a nice gift to show that person touch. And also uh, that explains, you know, what we're doing, the brand and why we're embarking upon this journey. So it was obviously there were so many symbols to choose from in in Africa and even in Ghana. And I know that the inside was certainly the one that we, we had to launch with. It makes sense. And I've seen the others that you have as well. So I think the translation is two heads are better than one. Uh, um, yes, the teeth. Yeah, yeah. And also the not one. I like that one because it's yeah, like... The impact of yeah. yeah, the knot of reconciliation. Yeah, yeah. So really strong and maybe, maybe not as recognisable. So I like that. It's almost like you're encouraging people to explore their culture. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's so, it resonates with desire, right? And, you know, for, for me, be, being born in Ghana, whilst I spent a reasonable amount of time in the country, it'll be for many Ghanaians, you know, so so little of the country that you come from, right? And you come from the Volta region, how much do you know about, you know, this part and how much you know about here? And it's the same, you know, living in London, how many people truly explore east london if you're west london <laughs> you know it's like you know it's a for our journey whereby you know we want the brand to basically be a, a very strong african heritage brand that is very inviting to all so it's not designed to solely be a, a brand that should be desiring you know um, african diaspora <laughs> you know the idea is that it's accessible to all mm. um so we we, we 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 expect to attract people who just like the patterns and by liking the pattern buying the products you, you know by osmosis you're actually consuming something and you challenge stereotypes it helps inform and educate what i also like is that this marriage of two classics so you've talked a lot about adinkra but also i think where you manufacture it's a very english process as well i think it's yeah. handmade in this country yeah 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 sure yes that's right you know, on the website, there's a launch video which which shows some of the manufacturing. Um, you know, we we own the design and the the, the the vision, and we want to then work with the best tools to express and produce the best things. So yes, you know, the ties are they're digitally printed in Macclesfield by you know one of the finest silk printing houses, and they're manufactured in Tunbridge Wells. You know, they're hand finished ties. Technically, they, I guess you could even argue that they're actually handmade. They are, but um, there is a little distinction, which which means that we we, we do just say that they're hand finished. Oh, um, okay. And obviously, the you know you can see the the Ankara fabric tipping. You know that's not you, know, you can't machine that. You know? no. <laughs> so yeah, um, you know the ties are and for the foreseeable will be made in England. And you know we're we're, we're globally agnostic. If we start exploring bathrobes or you know like uh, dressing gowns or if we want to make a kimono, we would try and explore and work with the best sort of kimono manufacturer in japan yeah. if we can. just want to basically focus on the design and defer to the friendliest and most enthusiastic manufacturers to produce our pieces manufacturers who give us the time and the quality you know and yeah. the time to produce our pieces so yeah but that's a nice segue into to find out if there was anything that you've been able to take or learn from your day job that has helped you with adinkra london yeah, and I think I think one of the benefits of working within a very large global trading house is being the the ability to work on a again a large global scale. So 
this sort of environment has allowed me to sort of study, you know, the, the likes of Louis Vuitton, you know, the likes of, um, you know, the Hermes group and, you know, Zane, you know, you want, to, you, you just think, yeah, it gives you the opportunity to realize the world is, it's a very big place, um, mm. you know, with lots of prevailing sort of attitudes and, and cultures and um, we're excited by the reach of the brands. And obviously working with numbers gives you a very sort of quantitative um, outlook on things. You know, things have to make commercial sense. Um, and also working with risk, as I do, you know, you realize you know, with, with ventures, it's risk, it's about risk and return, right? Reward if you're not taking risk. The expected return invariably tends to be quite small. So mm. uh, all these things have, have, you know, have been developed on my side certainly over the last, you know, 10 plus years that I've been working within the financial industry yeah. and conversely again you know fortunately with my you know, with Sean my my co-founder and my cousin you know he works within design graphic design he's worked for some very large design houses and again his ability you know his experiences have fused with mine to sort of marry up the design aspects and having the thing on the pulse of you know trends with you know my sort of commercial aspects and we've so mm. this has been a very very good partnership um, which has allowed us to get to where we are today. Yeah. Um, and in, in conjunction with all of this, we've also been very fortunate that we've met some very interesting people along the journey who've, who've been, you know, you, you can't be a, you can't be a shrinking violet. You've got to be out there. You've got to be taught to be, you've got to be, rather an extrovert otherwise you know we've had to do that and we enjoy it and it's allowed us to just be able to um you know take the knockbacks and you know always have a really strong network to be able to be you know be able to speak with to try to grow the brand but i feel a lot of that would be water off a duck's back for you because you're head of sales so you have to talk the talk anyway yeah you've got to be very confident yeah for sure and that that confidence yeah has has fueled and allowed uh allowed us to get to where we are today and you know some of our early supporters have been in fact so it's actually an important point some of you know the colleagues i've worked with are very critical you know they're very senior guys and women in the, in in their fields and as such they don't sugarcoat things so mm. i think the fact that we've been able to produce products that you know they've they've you know some for example one of my first bosses he's i would say he's a very he's a quintessential um british english sort of character and for for him i, I imagine he probably owns close to probably 50 100 hermes ties mm. so you sort of give us a seal of approval in, in buying one of our products and wearing it on you know financial news on tv you know, confidence that boost that we you know helps us on our mission and especially with our price points of you know 150 pounds for a tie yeah. you know, people are, are buying these on a you know they're the they're repeat customers so it's it's given us a confidence to obviously keep keep on doing what we're doing so i'm interested to know what the people who've bought your products they're what had drawn them to the products so the socks the ties the twillies i think they're called <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 especially if uh, many of them don't have any experience of being Ghanaian or living in ghana or, you know that kind of thing mm. yeah so when when we when we launched um yeah for sure you know it's a very friends and family sort of network when we first started and it was very successful and you know following on from that you know if you were to ask me what's the composition of our, our customer base it's quite interesting i would say it's probably it's probably 50 50 in the sense that um of african diaspora and the balance being non-africans and invariably i guess you know european you know whites european and mm. 
I, I think you know, in, you know, your question is quite interesting because it's like, what is the, what is, the, what has been the draw? And I think, you know, engaging with the Adinkra brand means it means something different to everyone. And I, I'm excited by the fact that you know, if someone were to buy a Hermes tie, you know, they're probably buying Hermes because Hermes is luxury fashion. I, I don't think necessarily they're sort of saying, well, it's you know, I will only buy French designers per se. Mm. Um, you know, with with Adinkra, I think it presents an opportunity for African diaspora to engage and connect with a brand and wear attire inspired from the continent of their origin, which gives them a sense of pride and uh, affiliation. You know, which which is great, and I think there aren't as many brands as as one would like that present that opportunity to express oneself. The non-African client base that we do have, which is which is not insignificant, I think that is also a very interesting. You know, op- the brand presents an interesting opportunity to a engage with a t- products that are refreshingly different. You know, with designs that you probably haven't seen before that are cool, that are interesting, that are striking, and also elegant and beautiful, and they you know look good in the wardrobe. But then I think also it also presents an opportunity to show. Um, I guess supports also um, and also connects with a culture that might not be as accessible to you as you know would have been Selfridges, and I appreciate it's changing now. The Selfridges or Harrods, you know, if you go into the luxury fashion section, as we discussed right at the start of this conversation, there ain't much of a diverse mm. range. It's mm. changing, but not fast enough, and it's certainly not comprehensive. It also presents a way to um, to ally yourself to the culture and to sort of recognize and almost um, a very subtle way acknowledge that actually you know there is a cult there is the, there is a culture in the world that has been suppressed in terms of on the, the, the playing field that you know the the, the, the stage that's you know, that other cultures more often than not the West have, have been able to command uh, mm-hmm. for a very extended period of time so for you know some of our clients it's a way to say actually you know what you know this is me wearing this to actually say that you know, there's more to the world than just these yeah. you know, half a dozen brands and it's it's a sort of a more subtle way to do it than walking around with a you know the packard it's, it's, it's the brand itself is also a very important vessel for us to um communicate the idea that um, african culture is not monolithic um, you yeah, know, a lot of unfortunately consuming this sort of prevailing stereotype that you know if it's an African design, it's got to be sort of the bold, bright colours, which are that sort of the the, the, the traditional, almost abstract design. And you know what we're trying to do is is champion the fact that actually there's more to it than that, right? That's one aspect of it, but there are other ways to reflect and present. You know, yeah. it's almost like um for um to welcome more a broader range of clients who are actually looking for to express themselves in a different way so and do you feel like this argument about um you know expanding people's horizons and their their palette when it comes to fashion and attire has worked in your favor when getting yourself into certain retailers i mean i'd be interested yeah. to know where you are apart from online you know, we're a young brand, we're about two and a half years old. So we were up until about six months ago, online only. But we've recently started being stocked in, in retail called Wakefields, which is a super high-end store. You know, it's got Brioni suits, uh, you know, it's got uh, Eaton shirts and Ferragamo ties. So, you know, that works for us because what we want to do is to, you know, when the client walks in and sort of looking at a 
2,000-pound Brioni suit that I gazes and you see a new brand, you're like, oh, okay, that looks interesting. It feels good. It's on point. It's a 150-pound mm. type. It works. And I think given the effort and the culture and the design and that we put in, as you said, it's almost like art meets fashion. We have to command the price point and yeah. that we do. These these designs are not quick. They're not sort of machine. Yeah. This is complex pieces that we do produce. And uh, it means that we have to be very discerning. Yeah. You know, some of the conversations we've had with some retailers have been that, you know, I guess some of the retailers are, unfortunately, that, you know, they, that for them, if you talk about, by the way, we're, we're producing an African, you know, we, we retail African design tires, in their minds, they do think, okay, it's going to be the genome, bam, yeah. you know, in your abstracts, almost. Yeah. Uh, so you're challenging kind of that, aren't you? You're challenging that. You're challenging challenge. that, yeah. exactly. And so it requires a bit of an education. And for us, we need to work with um, retailers that recognize that and also have the clientele that are willing to pay and also um, have the desire to actually acknowledge and look, appreciate the distinction yeah. nuances of what we're doing yeah. but we've also been participating in some pop-ups whereby we've been fortunate enough to be on German Street, which made sense for us because obviously German Street is the home of quintessential English fashion, uh, iron design, um, and, you know, Savile Row, the tailors, that's kind of where, where you, you find them. And also we were in a pop-up in Regent Streets, um, you know, which was, uh, a, a, again, a very good opportunity to to be accessible. So did the Oswald Boatings of this world know about you? And tell tell us about the high profile clients or people that you've been speaking to. Thanks for listening to part one. In part two, Patrick mentions some of the celebrities that wear Adinkra London, how the brand is giving back to underprivileged communities, and what it has in store for us over 2023. The music in this episode is called Life No Day Easy by Chechaku and the Super Pong Stars and is a special remix exclusively for Akadi magazine. Superapong Stars is a high-octane patchwork of Ghana's indigenous genres, including palm wine music, high life, Afrobeat and Afro-funk. You can find out more about the band on their Instagram, Superapong Stars. And if you'd like to listen to more podcasts like this, visit our monthly Akadi magazine Connecting Communities podcast on Apple, Spotify, Buzzsprout, or wherever you listen to your audio. Follow our news on academagazine.com and academagazine.co.uk and access exclusive early release content and discounts at ko-fi.com forward slash academagazine. Thank you.